Welcome to the Thrive Podcast. I am Jack Cross, Director of Thrive Student Ministries at the University of Arkansas. And so we've got an opportunity to uh, jump into a podcast and just let us uh, let you guys know a little bit about who we are and what's going on and tell some stories uh, with different people. And so we've got an opportunity to hear from me and my story, but we're going to share with uh, a little bit about Dom and who Dom is and what's going on with him. And so Dom, good to be here with you and um, welcome. Yeah, I'm excited to be here uh, in my house. We're filming this uh, <laughs> at my place. And so uh, it is really good to be able to kind of open up with you guys again. We didn't really have a open forum testimony night type thing. And so we're really glad to be able to share some of our stories. We hope to share some of y'all student stories, but I'm excited to be here. All right. All right. Well, let's jump into it a little bit. And so, Dom, you have uh, kind of an interesting story. Uh, we've got to know each other for several years now. And uh, man, share with me just a little bit about your early childhood. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's crazy now that, you know, I'm 23. Um, it feels like I'm super old now. But yeah, I, I was born in Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, uh, Vietnam. And so that's the uh, capital of South Vietnam. And I was born there as a closed adoption. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, that means that um, I do not have any sort of relationship or connection with my birth family. That's the difference between an open and a closed adoption, whereas an open adoption, you wouldn't have that ability to open up that kind of form or relationship. But with a closed adoption, that's not necessarily the case. And so I was adopted. Um, when I was four months old and brought over to the States, my parents are older uh, and they, I have an older sister as well. And so they adopted me uh, then in 1997 and I grew up in Texas. And so um, I was down there pretty much my entire childhood. Uh, but uh, I left home around after the, my fifth grade year and went out to do some different stuff and maybe we'll get into that but a group Catholic and, and kind of in a uh, somewhat stable home uh, is, is good to just have friends in the neighborhood it was something that was really influential and, and something that was always part of my DNA as far as far as like going out and hanging out with people and spending time just having fun with friends and that kind of stuff playing the little league and stuff like that and so uh, that was all good and uh, good and well yeah 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 so a little bit of information maybe I, I know or at least have heard. Maybe you're blowing smoke. But uh, anything particular about that particular, um, you know, place where you were adopted that you found out, you know, any famous people ever visit there? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the orphanage in Vietnam, it's it's interesting because uh, I, I didn't, I forgot that you remembered that. <laughs> um, so Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, rip. Um, but they adopted one of their children um, from the same orphanage that I, I was at. And so it's a pretty cool tidbit. Uh, it's unfortunate that I wasn't the Pitt kid, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't know, you know, Brad and Angelina, Tom, you know, Tom and Loretta. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you might have one out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's fun. Uh, so anyway, um, no, back to back to your part of your story. You know, you talked about you played little league, play, played different sports, and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. So adoption's a big deal, and especially kind of coming from uh, another country. Uh, did you ever feel just kind of out of place or whatever? Kind of as a as a, a young kid, um, how much did you feel like your kind of adoption piece was it normal? You know, did you because you maybe you didn't know any better or kind of what were some of those thoughts? 
Yeah, I think some of it, you know, when you're that young, right. you uh, you get used to it and you, you don't realize that, you know, it, something is out of place per se. And it's not really, but, you know, optically it really is. I think some of that that helped was, uh, number one, my sister was also adopted. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was adopted stateside, so her birth mother was already um, in America by the time that she was adopted. She was also Vietnamese, so that was something that was was cool. Is that we were both Vietnamese, we were both adopted. Um, Yeah, she's older. Uh, She was born in '94, Um, and so the other thing I think that helped that I don't really appreciate, but I do now, is that I grew up in Sugarland, Texas, so that's in the suburbs outside of Houston. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about Sugarland that is really cool is. It's one of the diverse, most diverse communities in and in, in around uh, outer side of Houston. Okay. And so there's a, a rather large um, Asian population, uh, specifically Vietnamese, but then also Indian and some other ethnicities as well, which for me, I think it helped just in general, just because we're around, you know, a lot of different kind of peoples, a lot of different kind of uh, culture. And, and even in that, some of that kind of trickles down in like the kind of food and restaurants there are. And then other like events and stuff that happened in town and stuff like that. And all of that, I think, played a bigger role than I give it credit for than just being around, you know, normal people. And, and I think that was a huge blessing for, for us. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. Very interesting. And I think about just different pe- families who've gone through that um, and different, you know, there's just all kinds of just all kinds of elements that kind of play into adoption um and so anyway um came into tom and loretta right uh they're great people sweet folks got a chance to spend some time with them over the last few years um and so i don't know what about what about some of those early early years you know i think you know you had an opportunity to to i guess more or less live a normal um raising up right Mm -hmm. Um, or, or, or what, what was some of the pieces and elements that kind of happened, um, kind of early on in the adoption? Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because, um, I, I don't really remember asking questions about adoption until later on. Uh, but some of the things that kind of went on before that, uh, were really significant in that, um, I, when I was four, um, there's something that pretty traumatic happened, you know, it was a really significant event. Uh, my friends made, or my, my parents made friends with another couple that had gone on the same trip to go adopt me. They actually adopted, um, the young girl who was next to me, uh, in the crib over, I was crib mates with her, um, in the orphanage in Vietnam. And so they made really good friends with them. And so we would go out to visit them. They lived in Pennsylvania. Um, at the time where my parents adopted me, they also lived in Pennsylvania. So they, they got to know each other. They got to spend some time with one another and we became pretty close family friends. Well, they had another adopted young girl uh, and then one biological son who at the time, when I was four, was about a sophomore in high school. And so we would go over there from frequently to visit them. And one time that we go to visit them, um, Sawyer was his name. And, um, you know, he's the only guy in their family. So obviously being the four-year-old, you know this from just Enoch and, um, year two kids, there are three kids, um, year two boys just wanted to hang around with the older kids type thing. That, that was very much my mentality. And so Sora comes to me and he's like, Hey, I've got, um, some hot wheels. Like, will you come do something for me and like, come play with me or do something, whatever. Um, and I'll give you these hot wheels. So we go upstairs. I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course. Like 
that's pretty cool. Um, I'll take those Hot Wheels. And so we go upstairs and uh, he, he locks the door behind him. It's his sister's room, which always struck me as interesting. It wasn't his room, it was his sister's room. And I remember that, but he locks the door behind him and um, he sexually abuses me. Yeah. And so that that's obviously, you know, really traumatic. I almost even black out after I remember seeing the door lock. And then I kind of come back to kind of getting myself together um, in the bathroom afterwards. Well, it wasn't, that happened when I was four. And it wasn't until four years later um, in a second grade where I kind of even remembered kind of what had happened. And it was such a significant thing for me at the time that it didn't register, I guess. And that kind of like I more or less the way that my doctors at that time kind of described it was that I repressed the memory and then kind of came to around the time I was eight and in and around that time, you know, up until that point, I would have, I started playing little league when I was five. And so it's pretty normal. Like if it, everything felt normal, well, that's one of those things that, you know, comes to and everything comes crashing down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, no, and, and just me interacting with some different people and who have gone through experiences like that. Um, the brain is such an interesting thing, right? It's crazy how it has a protect. We have a protective mechanism in which we can suppress memories. We can push things down. We can kind of forget some of the details and some of that kind of stuff. And and I, you know, I don't think until dealing with some some others who have struggled with with things like this. And so one, it's I said normal with a wink because um, it's definitely not normal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's extremely difficult. Uh, and so that had a lot of shaping, right? Um, and it's and, and, and the way that you just described it, it's the way I've heard it described in other ways, too, is just that kind of crashing down where all of a sudden, for one reason or another, and, and there's all kinds of tipping points. There's all kinds of, of tripping moments sometimes when, when people can kind of go through some of that, little little things that happen, and we don't, sometimes we don't even understand why. Um, it begins to crash. But then the, it's like the flood of memories becomes back. There are things that you remember that you almost feels like a dream, yeah. uh, like it's not real, but then it is. Yeah, and it's interesting because I I remember, I remember kind of the days leading up to, or I, and it really was more than days, it was weeks and that kind of thing, but I remember having dreams and visions type thing of remembering seeing like the playset in the backyard or the sidewalk in their backyard or like the stairs in their house and the different rooms like the den where the tv was and type stuff and i remember when it finally hit me what had completely happened i started describing not only to my parents but of course to the doctors and stuff like that because it was immediate where i needed that kind of attention uh, and help because uh, when you're eight you do not have the tools to deal with something like that um, but I remember describing that and then them, my parents being able to piece together where we were and who it was. Uh, cause when I remembered, I couldn't have told you who it was. I just knew that it had happened to me. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think I look back, back at that time now and, and of course, you know, traumatic and, and awful, um, what had happened to me. Uh, but on the same sense, it makes me glad that I like having those things, um, and being able to deal with those things in the States uh, was something I was able to do because, of course, I spiraled into a deep depression. What, I, what actually started happening, too, was uh, they diagnosed me with somewhat of a mild seizure disorder. And really what it is is not a seizure disorder. It's a like it was a mood disorder. And so the way it manifested was in these really huge outlashes of anger uh, for really no apparent reason. It would almost be kind of just sudden. 
um, the slightest thing would tip me off and I'd just go berserk. Um, either lock myself in a room and start destroying stuff or start destroying stuff and trying to hurt people. But to me now, I look back on that and it, it's, it was really bad. And even to the point where there are a couple of times my parents even brought me to like a church or a hospital or something like that, wondering if it was yeah, some sort of spirit or something like that yeah. in me. And that's crazy, you know, but I like, thank God it was, I wasn't in Vietnam at that time because if I was yeah. it over there and hadn't been adopted or been with another family or in a situation in the States where we've got doctors and people who can run those kind of tests and have those kind of conversations are trained in that way. I don't necessarily know what would have happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I know that that was an extremely just difficult time, especially being, you know, kind of being raised and then trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here, what's happening, all this kind of stuff. I know that through conversations with, um, with your, your parents, that was a tough time for them too, right? Because they, they, they've adopted you. They are doing their best to love and care and provide for you. On the same sense, This they're dealing with something outside of their scope or realm of understanding. And so as a result of that, what was kind of one of those next steps? One of the things that ha happened in and around that time, I was eight at that time, uh, and I, I like to say I was 10 just because that's a, a good earmark for people to say. But the truth is I was I really around 11, almost 12. Um, but it was after fifth grade. And um, something that was pretty normal for me in and around that time, all the way from third grade through fifth grade, because that was the time period that we were dealing with, is I would go to school at, and school started for us at eight. Um, but I'd go to school and around noon or between noon and two, depending on the day, I'd get pulled out of school. And from there I'd go to um, therapy or, or um, psychiatric help of some sort. Um, or the other thing that I, I would do in and around the time my parents tried was um, to send me to this kind of treatment, it's called neurofeedback treatment. Mm -hmm. And the way that works is they put like sensors on your, on your head and you like watch TV. So, you know, as a kid, you're just like, oh, I get to watch TV. Yeah. Um, but they run tests on like the way your brain is working and all that kind of stuff. And so they tried all these sorts of things and it still wasn't working. Um, it was getting worse. Uh, in fact, I'd already tried to run away from home on a couple of occasions. I had already tried to commit suicide. I think that was when I was nine. Mm -hmm. And so the parents at the end of their rope, um, kind of like you, you had said, um, one of the things that I've had to really come to peace with is that they didn't, they didn't have the tools to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And we're at the end of the rope and not knowing what else to do. And so kind of one of the next steps that they took uh, was something that was regular for us is to go out on the weekends sometimes and get treatments um, from different places. And whether that was a couple days or just an afternoon, um, we would go and we'd get different tests done and all, all over Texas just because they were trying to figure out something, get answers some way. Well, they told me that we were going out to San Marcos to... Um, get some testing done. We we're going to go stay. I remember this specifically that they said, we we're going to stay in a holiday inn and we're going to go watch some um, minor league baseball. And that was a huge selling point for me. Oh, we get to stay in a nice hotel. We get to, you know, go watch some baseball. This will be fun. Um, this will make up for, you know. Yeah, we got to go to the doctor and sit for a little while and you're going to have to have these boring conversations, but we'll go do this yeah. afterward. Yeah. yeah, and so um, that, that sounded good to me. So we jump in and... Uh, the car and we go and got my little iPod shuffle and listen to music all the way out there. Well, we get there 
and um, we go through our initial conversations type thing, and uh, it was pretty typical uh, as far as I knew, and we were just talking about, you know, what our history was, what was going on, um, what we thought needed to go on uh, in the future, and we wrap up our conversation. We'd already been there for two or three hours, and at this point, like, I was like, this is normal. Um, well, at this point, we've wrapped up our first initial conversation, and I figured, oh, we're either done for the day, or we're going to go get lunch and come back type thing. Well, they, my parents and, and all of us, we get up to go leave. My parents are the first to get up, and they get up and they say, hey, we didn't tell you this, but we're leaving you here. And I was, I guess, 11 at the time, and just another yeah. big shockwave. And I freak out. I go and start trying to run after and attack my parents as they're walking out the door. Um, there are these two huge dudes that are sitting there. They restrain me in the midst of that, and my parents get in the car and they leave. Uh, in many ways, for me, uh, that that event was almost even more traumatic than the abuse, yeah. just because you're adopted um, by by your parents, and and honestly, being adopted, you know, a lot of kids struggle with that. For me, because of all the other things going on, that was honestly even the back burner. But you know, for that to happen from your adopted parents, you know, something that's really traumatic, and and we've still had to work through at times. Um, our relationship is is re really good now. And I'm very thankful and blessed to be able to have that now. But in and around that time, you know, as much as that is what was needed, as much as that was the only thing they knew how to do, it's hard to explain that to an 11 year old. <laughs> I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about it just as you were talking, and, and you and I've talked about this before, and um, there's a lot of fallout, and we're about to share a little bit more about kind of what's going to happen next. Um, but that's a piece where we need to put that down on the docket. I'd love to have um, Tom and Loretta, or, or even just be able to talk to Miss Loretta um, and kind of get her take on that, because I know as a parent, because yeah. I, I, and I've had a little bit of conversation to know, like, how grueling and gut-wrenching that was even too for them to know that they were at such the end of the rope that that's kind of where they felt like it had to be done and of course anybody can debate back and forth and talk about you know well you should you shouldn't you whatever all this kind of stuff until you're in it and that's extremely difficult and like you said it's hard to explain that to an 11 year old i think it's impossible i don't know that you can yeah. and but but i do know that they were at a spot where they something had to give and, and they didn't have the answer for it. And so they kind of did what was they thought was best. And yeah, that was tough. That was tough. And for you, uh, extremely difficult. And so I appreciate you, just your point of view on that too. Um, and so, you know, in somewhat of a nutshell, um, kind of what, what's, what begins to transpire in the next little bit. Yeah, so I, um, I was admitted there uh, in late June uh, that year. My parents wrote me a letter, and it was something that ended up being very important because my dad continued to do that every single week that I was away from home. Um, but the first letter, it had like a drawing of a rosary that I had done. So if you don't know, a rosary is like this this traditional ritualistic type prayer that um, uh, people of the Catholic faith will do. Um, and so I, it was this picture, and that was the letter on the, or the card, um, like face. Mm -hmm. And they would write a letter to me about, you know, why they were doing it and that they were sorry and all this kind of stuff. Well, all I remember from that time is, why the crap did you send, give me a card with this religious thing on it? At the time, like, you know, like I said, uh, we'd grown up Catholic, but in and around the time that, you know, all this stuff would happen, one of the things that kind of got pushed to the back burner was going to church. 
Um, my mom would say it was too hard um, to go. My dad, he did continue to go every Sunday, irregardless of whether we all went with him or not. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't. I essentially got to make my choices whether I got to go or not. Mm -hmm. And so having a relationship with God at that point in time was non-existent. Right. Uh, and so me getting a card with like a rosary on it was really kind of mind-boggling. I was like, why would I care about what God, God, God abandoned me, you know, essentially. Um, well, over the next some odd months, I, I, I was there at that treatment center for three months. You didn't have church. You didn't have any, anything like that. Um, you're on your own. You like weren't even allowed to have shoes with laces because there were kids that would like try to kill themselves with it or something like that. Um, and so I was there from June through August. And then from there, I went to a therapeutic boarding school in South Carolina for a year. And I was there August to the following August. And it was very similar, no church. Um, it was very, very structured in that like, you weren't even allowed to have like shirts or any sort of clothing with more than a, a logo on it that was bigger than a nickel. Like wow. it was because they didn't want clicks and stuff like that and that type of thing. Um, and like, it was very restricted in, as far as like things you were allowed to do and things you weren't allowed to do, stuff like that. And so I was out there and, and really what, what birthed out of that is it kind of gave me the ability to kind of learn the kind of coping skills I needed to, to deal with what had happened and deal with some of those emotional baggage type things that kind of went on because of that. And so I was in that kind of treatment for about a year and a half, um, give or take a little bit. You know, that turned out to be really good for me. Of course, it wasn't completely over. And then after that, I, I followed and, and I went to high school. Of course, I was there for six years at Subiaco Academy. It's a boarding school in Arkansas. Um, and so I was there from seventh grade after I finished my sixth grade year in South Carolina from seventh grade through 12th grade. And so that was kind of um, the backstory on all that. <laughs> Subiaco, um, boarding school, man, junior high and high school kind of time frame. Uh, man, ups, downs, all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of story. I'm sure we could talk a lot about that. You met some really good friends in that group of people, right? Um, and so anyway, with that, there had to have been some special people, right? Because your case is, to me, seems a little, little bit special. Um, obviously, parents knew that you needed the, the structure and that kind of thing. So what are some of the, what are some of the I don't know, what helped you kind of make it through that? kind of being in boarding school, not going home that often? Yeah, so the way, I mean, you say not going home that often, I actually, I was able to leave um, to go home on uh, one occasion. And I actually don't think I even went home. I actually, no, maybe it's two, because one I went home and one we went to Disney World. But through that year and a half, that was the only time that I was really even allowed to see my parents at all. Aside from, I think there was one retreat where the parents came to us in South Carolina. And to give you some context, this school is like, you know, 20 minutes, 20 minutes outside any sort of cell service. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the middle of the woods, in a cabin in the middle of the woods, um, essentially. And so this is where that program is. And the South Carolina program, the South Carolina program. Yeah. Uh, and in and around that time, uh, you know, of course, I, I'd grown up playing Little League and had some really cool coaches and, and fun people to be around, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but it wasn't until I was in South Carolina that I really first got to see and have um, a really good role model. Um, aside from my parents, of course, right. you know, and so it was out there. I met this guy named Corey Bird. Uh, he's one of the direct care counselors, so he was there from 3 to 11 every day. Um, 
And so he was a guy who he coached some of the sports teams that we had, and he just spent some time with us. He was super athletic, so that was always something that I was drawn to. Um, wanted to, you know, try to beat up on him and stuff like that. Of course, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, but Corey was one of those guys who he was really influential. One, because he was relatable. Um, he was loving. Uh, he's a Christian guy. Um, but the other thing is he, he kept it real. It was something that I needed. Uh, I've always been confrontational. And, and some of that is, is born out of the fact of everything that happened and made me confrontational and made me um, want to fight and all that kind of stuff and all whatever but Corey for the longest time in, at the South Carolina program uh, everyone goes through this kind of honeymoon phase and it's a lot like relationships in that you know you don't really show your true colors until you're comfortable right. and so for the longest time and, and and I was probably an extreme case for this because there, there are kids there that dealt with drug abuse already being you know 15 and under you know um, had gone through things that were comparatively you know, much worse than what I'd gone through. And so there's a lot of questions when I first got there. Why is this kid here? You yeah. know, well, I remember three or four months in, something happens. And I, I was real comfortable with Corey already because Corey was really cool. He's a really good role model for me. Well, I built up on Corey on doing something. And he was like, <laughs> I ain't taking this crap from you. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I think at that time I needed that. I needed somebody who was going to keep it real with me. And in a loving way, be like, hey, you're out of line. And you, you, this is where you need to correct and, um, you know, do this. And, and it, for me, having people like that, uh, you know, because, you know, there have been a few others. Uh, I, I even went back my first two years, seventh and eighth grade year at CBACO. I went back to a school that those guys, Corey included, had branched off and made another therapeutic program, yeah. another uh, school. And so I went back to kind of do like a tune up, so to speak, and was there for a summer and met another guy named Mike Durham out there. Um, but there have been guys like that who have always, you know, kind of helped lead in that way and help model what it is um, for me to kind of chase after and, uh, you know, not necessarily even chase after God because not all of them were Christians, but in the same sense, you know, try to be an honorable man uh, yeah. and, and do some good things and that kind of thing at Sibiaco. There are, of course, a few guys, my coaches. Um, out there in dorm deans type stuff that I've always, you know, I still have connection with now. And, and so I'm really thankful to be able to have guys like that and role models like that who kind of can fill that void when, especially when you don't have your, your mom and dad there, you know, every day. So, yeah. Yeah. So, those, but those mentors, they meant a lot to you during to those time periods, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's really special. You know, Corey, he, he in particular is really, really special. Um, and a lot of that, one, one particular story I'll just share is, uh, he was of course the guy that you know, was there with us every day. Well, his wife at the time had cancer. Mm. Um, and I, I honestly, it slips my mind what kind of cancer, yeah. um, but there were three main groups. Uh, there were the Curhees, the Red Hawks, and the White Oaks. I was a White Oak. Uh, Corey was the main direct care guy over the White Oaks. And so he, you know, one, that was one of the things that was kind of earmarked you know, why I related to him so much is because he related to us. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to tell us that, you know, his wife, Alicia had cancer. He yeah. did. Um, and so I remember he, there's this gong you, you rang when you got into, uh, passages. And so passages was like the few months before you graduated from the program and you got to enter this extra program where, you know, you kind of got to learn what it was like to readjust back to what we would call the real world, right. quote unquote. Well, he gets up one day and he, rings the gong real loud. He said, my wife's cancer free. My wife's cancer free. Um, 
and that was awesome and yeah. uh it was so super cool well then later on it was maybe a couple months later she her cancer comes back oh, wow. and it comes back in a real big way stronger than it was before and uh by the time i graduated she was um not doing well and to the point where she Corey thought and rightly rightly it was maybe a year after I graduated that Alicia passed away. Yeah. But at that time, it was, it, it could happen any day. Yeah. Um, and I remember uh, I was at graduation and I didn't think he was gonna come because he told me, he's like, I don't know that I'll be here. I might have to, you know, be with Alicia at the hospital. Right. Well, lo and behold, he's not there at graduation. And that really sucked because you know, graduation was a really special ceremony. All the kids, we really enjoyed doing yeah, it. Of course. Um, of course, and you get to go off and, and do that. And, you know, I'd kind of already said goodbye to Corey because I, I figured that he might not be there. Of course, you know, still sad about it. Um, but he, he, all of a sudden, the way that it worked is you had like a graduation stone and you, and you gave it to everybody in the circle and everyone would like kind of say something to you kind of about your time there, or like their friendship or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting towards around the circle, back towards the opening where you would come through the woods from the main campus. And I'm talking, and this woman who's one of the counselors is talking to me and I see Corey running through the woods. Hmm. And he's running uh, in his gym shorts and he, he runs and, and everybody stops because they know <laughs> what's going on. And Corey runs up and he's given the graduation stone. Um, he says a few words, tells me he loves me, uh, gives me a big hug, and he runs back through the woods. Yeah. Um, later, I, I called after, I think, um, I'm pretty sure this is how this happened. I, I called him um, after we had left and gotten back out. I think we went to go get dinner or something like that after that. And he tells me uh, I wasn't going to come, mm -hmm. but we were in the hospital, and Alicia said, you need to go see that boy. Yeah. And uh, uh, super powerful just because... He obviously talked about me enough to uh, Alicia that she knew how special we were to each other. Um, but to have a, a role model to that degree uh, that would go that far out of his way, you know, his, his wife was, you know, yeah. dying. Yeah. And still he, he made it a point to come and see me. And um, she eventually passed away. And I went back, I think his, my freshman year in, at high school, um, he, he's remarried now, he's yeah. doing well, and uh, I got to go to his wedding, and that was really cool um, to be able to see that, but he's been somebody, he's probably the biggest one, um, role models that I've had that has, you know, kind of been left a footprint for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so so mentors, uh, for sure, man, that's a, it's a big deal. Um, I know through seasons of ups and downs and whatever, even within my own life, that there's been some some of those people who kind of help walk with you in some of those moments or, or maybe even just some of them who don't even realize how big of a role they played by just some of the steadiness or some of those words and, and just the right time at the right place and that kind of thing. And so I know that that's, that's a big deal for you. It's it's a major and a big deal for me as well. And then, um, and two, just kind of for the ministry that we're trying to help lead, right? We know that that, that time period, that 18 to 22, 23-year-old range is uh, such an influential time in people's lives. And so for us to be able to walk alongside some people and be able to help, you know, navigate through some of those things is, uh, is huge. And so one of the things I've noticed about you, and maybe you can speak about this a little bit, is 
you know, I mean, that's something that Karen and I've always wanted. It's something that, man, our college pastor and some of the people in the church that we were in during college, like, I mean, I don't know how strong we appeared to them. Um, and I think, I think decently maybe, but they were a big deal for us. And I know for, for me individual, I needed some of those people to model what it was supposed to look like, what Christianity was supposed to look like on Tuesday. You know, I knew how to play the game on Sundays and other times, you know, to, to live in the highlight type moments, but to know what the everyday look like. And, um, that was a big, a big thing. But one of the things I've noticed about you, for instance, is like Karen, we, Karen and I've always wanted to be, have people in our house. Uh, we, we, we want people to feel welcome to come and go and that kind of thing. But not everybody takes, takes advantage of that. I think some people think that they're bothering us or, you know, they're being an inconvenience or maybe they just, they're afraid of it. Um, but you haven't been. And I think probably some of that is your, you know, your background, right? You've had some people that have poured into you and, you know, seems to be pretty familiar space for you. Um, but we've gotten to know each other better. We've had an opportunity to speak into your life in some ways and in some moments because you've opened yourself up to that relationship. I don't know if you had anything to add to that. Yeah. And you know, I don't really know. And you, you know, that's just about us too, especially this year, you know, this is our first year doing ministry. Um, I think some of it honestly is just the idea of me growing up playing with friends in in the neighborhood and that idea of like, Hey, like we're all going to go to this person's house. That was always something that we did. And so for me, that was always super comfortable. It felt normal. Um, but then the other side of it, I think, is absolutely, you know, having mentors and seeking after mentors and seeking after um, people who I knew I wanted to be around and would open up themselves to me. Um, that was always something I wanted to do. Corey was that, that way. Uh, at Sibiaco, there are people that were that way. I spent a lot of weekends on um, my buddy Eric's couch um, just spending time with him and his family and so I think when you're when you're away from home as much as I I've been you kind of learn to make home wherever people will allow you to be you know Uh, and some of that is is, you know it's not meant to be like a mutual or something like that I'm sure at some points I've I've definitely been that Um, on the same sense you know you you build and find community where communities can be built and um, in high school, that was with Eric, and in in South Carolina, that was with Corey, and here it was it has been with you guys. And uh, some of that, you know, it goes both ways. You know, in that number one, I think you can't undersell the the value of seeking out uh, seeking after that yourself. Um, for me, I wouldn't ha- have had the opportunity to, you know be really good friends with Eric. He's probably my best friend from high school. But like, you know, if you know Eric, he's kind of a go with the flow, laid back guy. I, I, I think it went something like this in the lunch line where we were in band together. We both played guitar. Um, but I was like, we're going to be friends. <laughs> and so we became friends <laughs> because I kind of spoke it into existence. But then I remember, I think even the first time I went over to his house, I told him that I was going over to his house. He didn't invite me. I told him that we were. And the rest is history. Like I literally spent every, like they got a new couch because I spent so many nights sleeping on their couch that I think I like, I don't know, did something to their couch. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, um, teenager boy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, 
where now I'm about to steal your couch, yeah. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, and so I was in high school, you know, in the yearbook, it was most likely to be found sleeping on your couch. And, you know, there's something about, to me, there really is something about you seeking after it. Um, there's a lot of great relationships to be had, a lot of great memories to be made by doing that. I think there's a lot of there's a lot to be said about resiliency in that too, because um, and, and I like what you said about it. It goes both ways, really. And so I think there's an element where it takes someone, um, maybe like in my position, to be willing and say, "Hey, look, man, our doors open," and then to really mean that, you know. Uh, but then it does, man. Like I would say, in something you and I've talked about before. We've had people who've taken advantage of. We've had people who've come over to our house and that kind of stuff, and it's more of a burden, maybe. And I don't have to name names or anything like that, but you know, basically more or less. And long story short, in one form or fashion, it causes us a lot more energy, effort, work, uh, and sometimes that's okay for a small time period. But there have been a handful of you guys who have taken advantage over the over the you know last decade or so of Karen and I kind of living life that way and doing ministry that way where men, you're a blessing, you know, it's, it's little, and it's little stuff. It's, it's, Hey, the trash can's full. You know, I'm over here. I'm over here a lot. I'm going to take out the trash, you know? And I, I specifically remember you doing that one of those early days and thinking like, okay, um, like he gets it, he sees it, you know? And it's not that we can't take out the trash or whatever, but it's just one of those little things like you saw a need and you did it. Um, and then also like our children, you know, man, kids are difficult. Um, and I love my children, <laughs> but it's a difficult season in life. It, just because they need, they need my time, they need my energy, they need my effort, that kind of stuff. And so, like someone like you coming into our house and taking Enoch and playing with him, mm-hmm. you know, and him, him looking forward to, and now Grayson, now that he's old enough too, when Dom walks in, it's like Dom, you know, or Dom and Allison, yeah, you know, it's like they're really excited. Awesome. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Grayson's kind of happy with Allison coming over now. Uh, now it's to the point where it's like Dom comes over and it's like, where's Allison? <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, disappointed that you, you walk in. Um, but, um, but you guys being able to come in and play with the kids and enjoy them to a point where it's decent, you know, for, for Karen and I won, just the, the idea that y'all love our children our children love you um anyway it's a big deal it's a big deal and so you're right it's it's kind of a it's a mutual relationship it's back and forth there uh, but for someone listening right now i just love for them to to see that that there are mentors to be had mm-hmm. and you said that there there are there are relationships out there um and so sometimes you got to look for it but it, and it's yeah I got no problem with you sleeping on my couch, you know, that's great. Uh, but man, it sure is nice when you do that and we get an opportunity to pour into you and that kind of stuff. And then also to see that you love my children and that you also look at things like, Oh, look, the trash is full. Let me take this out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes that relationship a blessing. Yeah. And I mean that like in the sense of like a blessing is to add value. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we hope and pray that we're adding value to you guys and to students and, and people moving forward. But uh, y'all have added a lot of value to our, to us and, I, and I'm, my house and not just, you know, my physical house, but my, my family. Yeah. And so anyway, well, that's going to end it up for this segment. And so anyway, thanks guys for listening. We'll join in segment two here in just a few minutes. Hi, my name is Mitchell Neldon. I'm the executive pastor of Pathway, as well as one of the hosts of the Pathway podcast. Each week, we post a sermon from Pathway's worship service on the podcast. You can check those out there, as well as special interview episodes from some of your favorite Pathwayers. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform 
to the Pathway Podcast to check out future content. Here we are back with segment two of Dom's story uh, with the Thrive Podcast. And so we're going to jump back into it. We just got through talking about a little bit of mentorship, right? Yeah. Uh, mentors meaning a big, a big piece. And, and there's some of the elements of early college life that we collected in the story with the Pathway Podcast. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you want to hear a little bit more about how kind of Dom got started and even some of those Subiaco buddies and some of that kind of stuff that kind of helped get him to the U of A. And then uh, ultimately through a relationship in the dorm that got uh, introduced to Thrive. And uh, man, just kind of awesome how that kind of unfolded and just a student uh, in Will um, who, man, that he, he began to love and share and, um, just kind of bringing you along and it took a better part of a year, uh, but then some drama happened and unfolded and Dom began to hang out a little bit and began to hang out with us and stuck around that summer. And so that was a lot of fun, got a chance to know each other. But, um, anyway, you want to pick up kind of with that, uh, you kind of getting started within college and, Kind of on the back side right there is you kind of got involved with Thrive, got involved a little bit with Pathway, stuck around that summer, played a little softball with us. I always laugh at that because I enjoyed playing. It was something we had done with our our men with uh, in some of our small groups and things like that with Pathway, just more or less like, hey, we want to get to know these people. Uh, you were around, and it was like, hey, you know, I know Dom's at least a little athletic. Let's ask him if he wants to play softball with us. I didn't have any clue that you were actually decent. <laughs> And so it uh, turned out that, yeah, he became our shortstop. <laughs> hey, it was a good good side of the infield to be on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Jack played third base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize we were bringing in a, a young ringer. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, so anyway, kind of the next little piece I want to go to in, in, in this part of the story is kind of really on the back side of that, you're eating it up. Uh, the relationship... Uh, you had some major shifts and changes kind of in your personal life and kind of describe to you like spiritually what was going on right during that time frame. Yeah. And so kind of like I, we'd mentioned in the back, first part of the podcast, the idea that uh, I really didn't know what it looked like to have a relationship with God, uh, nor did I really have. I, I think it, it's probably stronger than I gave it credit for as far as the foundation, uh, but not as strong as I wish I would have had. If that makes sense, you know, the idea that uh, I'd gone to church and, and I knew the story uh, of Jesus. I don't know, but I didn't know the personal impact, the personal power, um, the idea that, you know, it was my sins that, that sent Jesus to the cross. And I, there was no conceptualization of that. And it really wasn't until Will, until some of those guys, until a conversation with you, um, that it really started to kind of grind up the gears of my heart you know the idea that uh, hey look like this is more than just um a ritual this is more than just going on Sunday morning look this is a relationship that you've been invited into um and in many ways like you know just in the same sense that you know I sought after mentorship and, and done this and that like the relationship that I could have and, and can ha- could have with Jesus um would be the most influential mentorship relationship the most you know, influential um, spiritual relationship that I could have. And it was when I was introduced to that, that the year started turning. I got saved my sophomore year. And like Jack said, it kind of took, you know, a year and a half uh, type thing uh, of me being around, you know, but I, I was saved um, in October um, of my sophomore year. And uh, I really started trying to come around more, 
you know and so I'd already been around for that summer and was trying to just be around and serve a little bit more and and, and really kind of learn what some of those elements were were really about uh, whether it was small group or servant or uh, whatever whatever else but you know took some time and I remember that time that season too man just kind of really and, and from my perspective man I've seen students who blossom who you know for lack of a better term they thrive you know they take off um, really grab a hold of it and then I've seen some too who they have a nice little push for a little bit and then they just disappear and so I remember that time period just kind of wondering okay let's see what's going to happen with this guy you know um, he seems to be following he's eating it up i remember i remember some of those conversations that will and i even talked about with you and then him trying to walk through like what does it look like to embrace the gospel what does it look like to have that personal relationship with jesus i remember you and i sitting down and me specifically pulling out a bible you know because i anyway i knew that from your background you knew about god but we actually talked about some of the specific verses and just kind of lined some of those out and had you read them, you know, some of that kind of stuff. And so I know all, you know, all of that kind of stuff was resonating with you and the idea of you taking some ownership in your faith and not just living your faith to me or will or even pathway, but you beginning to read and, and, and just really soaking a lot of that up. And so that was really good. Yeah. Um, and then also, man, the community and, and diving into the relationships within our college ministry, right? So some other believers who could, encourage you and strengthen you and you even took that kind of upon yourself to begin doing that with other people and so we call that discipleship right um, being able to pour into have coffee with and regularly encourage each other to pray encourage each other to re be reading god's word um, talking about those things and then also sharing that with others and so i i don't know man you grew a lot during that next year but it didn't come without you know a few hiccups here and there and so i don't know how was that? What was that season like? It, it was definitely a difficult time period. You know, we talk about, you know, this 18 to 22 year old lifespan or, or part of your life that's super significant in that you have the potential to grow in a lot of different ways. And that definitely was the case for me um, because, you know, Jack makes it sound easy in that, you know, we, I started coming around and started discipling people and people had a couple conversations and now I was ready to go. Well, <laughs> Uh, where the heart is when the flesh is not <laughs> in a lot of, a lot of ways um, and it did not that season did not come without a lot of like I would say screw-ups you know uh, yeah. I think of a couple in particular where um, even in my junior year while I was in leadership and all that kind of stuff and uh, I was still buying alcohol for um, some of our underclassmen who I should have been doing and Jack had to sit me down and be like hey gonna slap you across the across the back of your head for this one um that kind of thing and those conversations weren't fun you know all the while i i, I was really trying to do my best to follow after and, and and do the things that i knew i needed to do um but there is a lot of in that where in conjunction of trying to be obedient with what god had called um and the convictions that god had placed on my heart there's a reshaping of your what my thinking was on a lot of different things, uh, and whether that was hey what 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 did I think personally about alcohol and um, the impact that I could have on other people, especially people who um, would later be looking up to me as a leader. Um, what did God say about pornography, or what did God say about this and that, and how did my earthly and human standard measure up to what God's perfect standard is, uh, and I that took a lot of redefining even within me uh to say hey look no this is what god has to say about this and 
and, and I'm going to fight this and struggle with it uh, because it's worth being obedient to what God had called me to. And, and so it, it's, it's hard because when you have to reshape an entire, not belief system, but an entire, you know, how you live, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. It's difficult to try to adjust to that. And, you know, for as much as, as short as, um, that this four years is 18 to 22, you know, we, we talk about it like it goes by really fast. There's a lot of things you can accomplish in it. Uh, and for me, that was, that was very much maturity. It was not being such a hothead in some instances. It was, um, being patient and willing to, uh, be open and confess this things that I'd done or things that I know needed to be redefined and stuff like that. Um, and so it, it, it did take a long time. You know, yeah, I yeah. feel like. Well, and I, this season, right? I mean, you're you're a good example of this. But this season of life is it's difficult because it kind of re regardless of where you come from, you now have to decide how am I going to live. So if you've had good models in front of you, guess what? It's on you now. You have to decide how am I going to live. What am I going to do? What am I really going to value? Is Jesus Christ going to be part of me, or a part, or once was a part? Or is he going to be the filter in which we view the world through? You know, and that's something we talk about kind of pretty regularly. Um, and then, too, man, just, man, what is this supposed to look like? Um, and, yeah, the ups, downs, struggles, whatever. And so college ministry, I mean, ministry in general, but college ministry is messy. Uh, trying to deal with, you know, <laughs> students who are moving into adulthood and have to make adult decisions. And I don't know, my particular style is not always to put my thumb right on top of everybody, um, but to understand that you're going to have to make those choices, that you are men and women, and ultimately I can't force you um, to make certain decisions or whatever. Uh, but I remember some of the conversations that we had um, just about like, like why or what's the main priority, what's the main goal and how some of the, you know, things that we could use air quotes, whatever sin, uh, some of those things that maybe even are not straight up sin, but are just not prudent, yeah. not wise, not the best move in that situation and to begin thinking about, okay, what's the main goal here? Or does this thing help build community and foster a relation, a closer relationship with Christ? Or does this thing tear that apart? And so, and then, and then what's your main priority here? Is my main priority to, you know, have a lot of fun and do whatever I want to do? Uh, or is my main priority to love people and help build close relationships with God. And that is a big shift in thinking. Uh, it doesn't always mean that everything has to go. It doesn't always mean that, you know, we have to be super legalistic or anything like that. Um, but the shift in thinking, begin thinking that way. And, and I, I would, you know, tell you that, you know, yeah, we've had to have some difficult conversations over the years, but you've taken the coaching well and understanding. Yeah. Well, and it's not, and it's not fun. And, and I'll just say this, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of people in the college, um, age you all especially ones that are genuinely trying to trying to follow christ one of the things that i feel like really helped me was coaching from you and then some other mentors as well this idea of like look this is what god has to say about this um and this is the conviction you feel about a certain thing because i feel like we all go through those like we know we shouldn't be drinking too much and we know we shouldn't you know be sleeping over with our girlfriends and all that kind of stuff and you know whether whatever it is that you're actually struggling with you know, because everybody goes through that struggle. 
Um, but in a lot of cases, it's, it's about how you respond. You know, you know what God says about it, but what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, it was a struggle trying to, you know, define what I actually thought about some of those things because um, I had to convince myself, hey, look, this is this is what God says about this particular thing, whether that's, you know, pornography or something like that. I, you know, that was something for me, you know, that I, I had to convince myself and I had to look at God's word and, and say, you know, the way that you f- think about this is not right. You know, um, the, the standard that you have for this, that you're like, oh, that's OK. That's not that's not OK. You know, um, this is what God has to say with it and then be willing to go to battle with it. You know, even even that's going to be a, a struggle for a season or, or continue to be a struggle maybe throughout the rest of your life. Are you willing to, to fight, um, fight it? And, um, what are you going to do about the conviction that you feel? And I feel like, you know, a lot of people in college, you know, whatever, whatever it is that they're actually struggling with, are you actually willing to go to battle with it? Yeah. 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 No. And that's, and that's a big deal. And you know, the church word that we might use for that would be sanctification, you know, that ability to be sanctified, that ability to like, okay, God, I see your word. Am I actually going to try to align my life with the things that I'm learning, the things that I'm listening to and all that kind of stuff? And so, yeah, big, informing, shaping time frame, right? Yeah. Of course, during that time frame, too, uh, one of the other kind of highlights and pieces, you know, is that uh, you met a young lady who was running kind of alongside of you. Uh, there were several people, right, running alongside of you guys and um, just several friends and that kind of stuff. But one particular one stands out, right? Um, so kind of have that relationship get going. Yeah. And so, um, I met Allison who, uh, is my wife now, but I met her, I guess it was my junior year, her sophomore year. It's funny cause I was around my sophomore year and that was a year where I was really starting to get involved. Um, Jack even, they handed off the worship team to me that late in that, that year in that spring. Uh, but Allison was around that year. I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. We didn't know each other really at all. Uh, of course, Allison's a lot more, she's not introverted, but she would say she's an ambivert. She's kind of in, in between the two, um, but she is more of a homebody than, than I am. Uh, and of course, in comparison, I'm super extroverted. Um, and so I didn't know her. She remembers a particular outreach event where I think, I guess Will and I were competing on who many, how many like car info cards we could give out. Uh, of course, we made it a competition, um, but she remembers meeting me there. I don't, um, but it was later my junior year, her sophomore year, uh, that she ca- comes up to me, and, and I don't remember exactly what class it was. It was for something, and she says, hey, I've got to um, go to a religious or some sort of event that I wouldn't normally go to, and so I was thinking about going to a Catholic church service. Uh, what can you tell me that I need to know? And I was just like, uh, I mean, I guess I'll go with you. Like, we're at Pathway. Like, at this point, I, I'm at Pathway. Like, I'm invested in Pathway. I don't. So you're don't asking me I, at, pa- at yeah. church, at a Baptist church, to go to a Catholic church. Honestly, yeah, I don't remember. I think, I don't think I was baptized yet at Pathway. Because I did get baptized at Pathway. But like, I'm full-fledged. I'm going towards Pathway. That's where I'm going. And she comes up and it's like, Hey, um, what can you say about the Catholic service? I was like, I guess I'll go with you. So we go. Um, it was me and her and one of her really good friends, Abigail Rose. And, um, we go to Catholic 
uh, church and she, we get out and she's like, oh, that was an experience. That was kind of weird. And I was like, yep, so I don't go anymore. Um, but in and through that, uh, we started spending a little bit more time together. Um, you know, I think also <laughs> during the summer before that, because this is in the fall, um, I guess of 18, maybe 18, 19, I don't know. Um, I had kind of like thrown, you know, and this just tells you the maturity level where I was at, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, you know, I'm glad to be out where I'm at now, but I was just sending random Snapchats to, <laughs> you know, a couple of people. Uh, I think I sent one to Allison and Alyssa Tidwell because Alyssa at that time was off in training. Um, but I sent them to those two girls in particular for a very specific purpose to know <laughs> because I was like, Hey, you know, I don't know, maybe this turns into something. Well, I think that she, she would tell you that she opened it and thought I sent it to her on accident. So she didn't respond. Well, <laughs> I, we've had conversations about this since then. Um, and she's like, I didn't know you were trying to like do something about it. Well, <laughs> that was my sly, very yeah, non, passive, yeah. yeah, very passive, be more be more forward than that guys <laughs> listening to this um but you know that was kind of how we started spending time with one another hanging out she was an ra at the time in the dorms and so we started to hang out um a good bit and went on a couple dates um and then we started dating and yeah 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 no i know yeah both of you guys were both trying to pursue um pursue God and of course come from way different backgrounds and different personalities. And that's one of the things that I've uh, also like about you guys relationship. And obviously there are some times when no doubt when personalities are different and you come from different context, kind of backgrounds, that kind of stuff that, um, you cannot see eye to eye, but on the same sense, I also see and and would say that about y'all's relationship that there's a lot of times where those complement one another. And so, um, I don't know. There's been some of those pieces where, uh, I don't know if you got anything to kind of speak into that. Yeah. Um, I feel like for us, if you looked at us at face value, you'd look at us and say, oh my gosh, like they're completely, completely different. Um in a lot of different ways, even when you think about like our upbringing, you know, she grew up in a really solid church with a really solid family. Um, and she grew up with a fantastic foundation. Uh, I grew up with a good foundation, but not near the kind of foundation that she had, especially, you know, as far as when we talk about, you know, biblical background, you know, (laughs) um, and so, I I also, you know, spent time hanging out a lot with friends and going around in the neighborhood and stuff like that. And I wasn't like, I got home and was immediately out the door. Um, They, she really, and that's, she really values quality time. And that's something I've seen uh, a lot since our relationship because, you know, their family is really, really close, you know, a lot closer than, than I think my family was growing up. Honestly, when, when I started hanging out with them, uh, it was something I had to adjust to because I was not used to it. And honestly, it really kind of um, made me uncomfortable in a lot of ways, just f- for the simple fact that I, I wasn't used to it. Uh, it made me kind of intimidated because I was like, oh gosh, look at this perfect family, <laughs> you know, uh, something like that. Like, you know, and in some ways I was even almost looking for something wrong with them so that I could right. be less intimidated <laughs> by them. Uh, but, you know, uh, having such a stable uh, family and a stable, you know, environment, honestly, has been really good for me, you know, um, you know, there's a lot there as far as, you know, the early parts of our relationship, uh, you know, I feel like 
having Allison and Allison being a really stable hand, someone who can remind me uh, of the truth um, in many ways has a, a better spiritual background, uh, you know, unquestionably than I do. Um, but she was someone who very early in our relationship even was a stable hand for me, you yeah. know, because um, in and around that time, we got together in October. In December, I started really struggling with some of the, um, you know, effects still of what had kind of happened to me started going to counseling um and and a lot of it was less about you know the abuse and more about the residual damage and fragmentation of the relationship with my parents um because there was a lot of healing there that hadn't still hadn't happened Mm -hmm. you know so for so many years the focus had been on how can we get uh my parents would say the focus was how can we get dom to live past 21 and obviously that had happened by that point but there were still parts of that relationship that needed some work. And so I was really struggling, struggling with a lot of that and even had a few like mental kind of breakdowns and you know depression type episodes. And Allison was really graceful in those moments and really great. Um, she was someone who could remind me, you know, I'm here for you, uh, where in my opinion, a lot of people a lot of different people probably would have run away and been like, oh, this dude's crazy, um, which I am. But, you know, <laughs> you know she, she, I guess, is okay with that. Um, but, you know, having a steady hand and someone who was stable where I was not completely at that time was really good. And uh, it continues to be good in a lot of different ways, you know, whether that's how we view um, a particular issue or, you know, how we view quality time or something like that. Like, it's really good to have a different perspective. Uh, it's not always fun. I'll say that. <laughs> um, you know, she's doesn't really like conflict. I would love to be in conflict at all times. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but you know, there, there are things that we're very different in that complement each other very well because it brings out the best in each one of us and challenges us to be better in the areas where we aren't. Yeah, and that, to me, that that's, you know, there again, one of those moments where it's just kind of, hmm, it's intriguing, it's interesting, it's, it's I like it. Um, it definitely, it adds value to the relationship. And I think it's, it's oftentimes it can be difficult to figure out, like, okay, how much do we need to be in common? Especially, you know, I know that's a, bit, it's a major key thing, especially within college students and trying to figure out, like, in a dating relationship or, you know, even someone that might, you might be able to consider as a mate is how much do we need to have in common? How well do we click, get together, that type of thing? And so, um, complimenting, you know, personalities is a, is a big deal. Um, and so with you guys, right, you do come from different backgrounds. You look different. You, you came from different, you know, um, historical, biblical type, you know, you're just different, mm-hmm. right? Um, but one of the things that you have done that I have appreciated and I, and I like to see is you know, right, how you compliment each other and how, you know, <laughs> in some ways, Allison being organized and stable and that kind of stuff uh, and, and just really, really good for you mm-hmm. and just loving, caring gracious in the ways that she can do that and just you know pleasant quiet mild-mannered you know you know doesn't not you know I, not that she can't get feisty i've seen her do it a couple little times uh, but but that she's a she's gonna, yeah <laughs> but but she uh anyway she's good and she's sweet mm-hmm. and we're on the flip side of it too not to say that you're not um but that you know 
you're going to be, there's some spontaneity and some, um, some pushing or even just some perspective things that you bring to the table, um, because of your past, because of some of those kind of things that she just doesn't have an experience with. And sometimes in a good way that she doesn't have an experience with. Um, but the way that the two of you can come together, uh, and really the thing that binds you, the thing that brought you in the beginning was your relationship with Christ and how the two of you were really running to that, uh, kind of coming from different directions, running at it, but both running in that direction. And so it's been cool to just watch that kind of develop over the last few years and then ultimately uh, for the two of you to get married. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, got high hopes for you. Yeah. You're doing great so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I love, I love even just in the, just in the last you know handful of months and well, this last year, um, for y'all to be able to to do ministry together, um, and watch you open up your house and begin loving on uh, college students um, as alumni now, yeah. and so uh, that's pretty cool. I look forward to seeing kind of what the future brings and kind of what that's going to look like. And don't think that we have it figured out. Yeah. Don't figure it. Don't think we've got it figured out and, and exactly what it's going to look like. And, um, five years from now, um, hopefully we can listen back to this and look, look back to these days and, and know that, um, God's continued to bring us forward, even though we've been through some different challenges and some different, you know, horizons and that kind of stuff. And so, anyway, this is going to wrap up the, um, probably the serious portion of the podcast. I appreciate you guys for listening this far. If you want to hang on and listen to the third segment, we're going to have a little bit of fun with a sports movie draft. And so, anyway, thank you guys for listening to the Thrive Podcast. All right, here we are at segment three. We've had a nice long conversation, kind of sharing some of Dom Hackman's story, the Thrive Podcast. But now we get to have a little bit of fun with this and something we're going to do uh, with some of the podcasts moving forward too is do some type of a draft. And so, Dom, we get to see who's going first on our sports movie draft. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay. You ready? One, two, three, shoot. Ready? One, two, three, shoot. Ah, rock to scissors. Dom gets to take the lead. All right. All right. So we're gonna take three movies, three sports movies. Favorite, favorite, favorite sports movie. Well, I think for the first one, to me, it's a shoe in. Uh, it's honestly probably my favorite sports movie, but it might be my second favorite movie of all time. But Glory Road. Glory Road is a basketball movie. Uh, it's about the Texas Western team that went to win the national championship. It was right in and around the time of a lot of the social justice stuff that was going on in and around that time with um, just racism uh, and coach Don Haskins he goes and and brings in recruits I think seven black players and that was not been done at the time um, and he even goes and in the final game to prove a point and to make a stand he like plays only his black players and honestly, it's just super powerful, super cool to hear some of their stories and kind of how that goes down. But Glory Road for sure is my number one. There you go. There you go. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, yeah. So each one of these movies, I don't know what it is about sports movies, but man, just grab my heart. You know, oh, yeah. there's a whole bunch of them that we could choose from. <laughs> and so especially as I start thinking about like gripping moments or moments is like, you know, I think as I get older and kids and all that kind of stuff make me want to tear up a little bit more. I don't know what that is about that. But anyway, um, I, you know, you said basketball. I could stay basketball. 
Um, since I get two, right? We do, do this serpentine type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let me go with, uh, I don't necessarily know which one would be my favorite, but 1A, 1B, you know, I, I'm not a big like rewatch movies type guy. Um, but these are ones that, yes, I will sit down and rewatch them. Um, so basketball would be Hoosiers. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 By the way, if you haven't like, I mean, if you hadn't watched either one of those two movies, I don't even care if you like basketball. Like, you got to go watch them, right? Another one would be uh, Remember the Titans. Mm. Remember the Titans, man. There's multiple scenes where you know, just almost like get ready to go play football. You know. <laughs> Very, very uh, and similar, so, Glory Road and, and it is, it is. Did they come out? I think they came out around the same time frame. Know, maybe I, think, I don't know. Anyway, but both those, yeah, you're right. Kind of that um, breaking through, um, kind of social, you know, dilemmas and justice and that kind of stuff that's kind of happening during that time frame. Um, same, same kind of concept, uh, but that's a big, powerful moment to see a sports team kind of transcend what's going on in the culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's always really special to see that, even now, you know, what kind of happens. Um, so, I get one. Yes. Okay. No, no, no. No, you get I two. Get two. Okay. Yes, you get two. Well, and I come back with one. The first one, I got to take, baseball movie. Um, baseball was a sport I grew up playing. This, honestly, was the movie that I feel like was the one that was like, I'm going to go play Major League Baseball now. That's my dream. That's what I want to do. Okay. Um, but, The Rookie. The rookie. the rookie. All right. I actually, actually, I had a thought that the rookie might be on my list. Yeah. But I've got some other baseball movies that. The rookie is a great movie. It's about a teacher who essentially like. Yes. He 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 just goes and he's coaching a baseball team and he's teaching, and he throws BP one day or something like that, and the guy throws like ninety eight, and it's like arms are supposed to slow down when you get older, but this guy has like he's like forty something almost. And that makes me think I could, you know, go jump back on the dime and hit a home run. I wish. I wish. <laughs> but, you know, and, and he goes and he starts pitching in the major leagues. It's like, wow, <laughs> like, that's crazy. Um, but anyway, my second one, or I guess my third one, but my second for the round, um, I feel like I got to go with hurricane season. Uh, See, that's one that I haven't seen. You may mention that. Yeah, hurricane season, that's one of my favorite basketball movies is pretty similar to glory road um you know of course a lot of these sports movies are you know of some sort of adversity and then overcoming said adversity um uh, but this one is about i i assume it's 04 um because it's about the john eric patriots um but they're a new orleans team high school team um that goes and wins state after hurricane katrina and you know katrina of course was monumental that's actually where my best man for my wedding he moved to houston because of hurricane katrina um but in new orleans at the time because of all the closures and schools and stuff what what happened was that they allowed all the players in any division to pretty much transfer without any penalty and so essentially new orleans could you could go recruit anybody from anywhere um in louisiana essentially and so uh, John Arrett rebuilds their gym and, and does some stuff, and they go on and they win state. So, I, Living through that, I forget like how monumental that was until I hear some of the fallout. Because you're right, there's a ton of people who moved. like Stuff happened in New Orleans, the way that they rebuilt, the change, the dynamic, the way that people... Yeah, the way that people like 
left and just, you know, they left and had to be gone for months and they just didn't come back. Um, and so people displaced, like you said, your buddy came to Houston and several places across the southern region in that area uh, that just, you know, for one reason or another didn't go back. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, Katrina was a big deal. Uh, okay, so let me wrap it up with my last one. And man, this is tough because I went basketball, football, and got to throw in a baseball. Yeah. It's hard. To, I can think of a couple different baseball movies. There's actually a long list probably, but I, I, I can't leave out The Sandlot. Like, as from a kid, and even showing it to my kids now, like, it's one that we rewatch. And like I said, I'm not a rewatcher. Um, on the same sense, I have seen The Sandlot a ton of times. And it's one that, like, if you've never seen it, like, it has to be, like, you have to sit down and watch it regardless of if you like um, sports movies. And so, anyway, we've just handed you guys six different movies that if you've not seen these, I mean, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. Uh, you have to, you know, look it up on Netflix or one of the other streaming devices or whatever. Uh, find someone who's got, got it, someone, one of your friends has this sitting on their shelf. And so you've got to go get uh, one of those movies and give you something to watch. And I hope you guys have enjoyed the Thrive Podcast and the story with Dom here and our time together. I hope that you are having a blessed day and uh, check us out for the next episode. 